0: Last year, on Mother's Day, I preached a message about Job, <laughs> which was a good message, and it helped people, but I felt bad about it afterwards. Nobody complained. At least none of the moms complained. A guy did complain, but it wasn't because it was Mother's Day. It's because he didn't like my theology, but, <laughs> but I felt bad about it all year, and in fact, I told the dental hygienist about it, and he said, that's terrible. You should have <laughs> preached about Ruth or something. And I thought, (laughs) thought, man, the dental hygienist doesn't even give me any grace. But but I wanted to preach a message about a Mother's Day message for you today and just encourage moms and parents in general. I was reading, I found this quote from this guy, John Wilmot. It said, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. (laughs) I thought that's about right. Before I planted a church, I knew a whole lot about church planting. I was talking to my, one of my overseers, Pastor Greg Moore, is the director of Karis Bible College, and I was out there teaching. And I said, what do you want me to teach about? And he's like, well, say something about church planting. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure I know anything about, about, about the church I mean, I've done it. We, you know, we're succeeding. God's with us. But once you, once you start doing something, a lot of the theories start to go out the window and you realize you have to be adaptable. Is that true? And, and I think that's very true about parenting. I think being a parent in the 21st century is difficult. I mean, it's to be honest, it's probably difficult in any century. But there are unique challenges that we face in each decade, each uh, century. One of the unique challenges about raising kids nowadays, I think, is that comparisons are so readily available because of social media and things like that. And you can very easily get on Facebook and Pinterest and all these sorts of things, and you can find out what other people are doing. And we've got access to a, a wealth of information that's just bombarding us all the time. There's so much information um, coming at us, and it's difficult to discern what the right thing is. And how many of you have anxiety sometimes if you're a parent about what, how to parent the right way? I mean, because there's all this... There's all this information and the, the information doesn't always agree, even among Christians. And what you end up having to do is make choices. So life's about choices and then you got to roll with what happens and, and all that kind of stuff and it's not easy. Um, but I was thinking about this and I wanted to illustrate for you what, what a little bit of that looks like um, because, you know, one of the things that's happened is that is science has happened. And, you know, because of science, I know babies have been sleeping for thousands of years, but science has taught us how, ba- how to get babies to sleep. You know, we've solved this, right? Everybody that's a parent, you know that, that we've solved this problem, right? And, and so all you have to do is just get on the internet and research how to get the baby to sleep, and it'll fix the problem. So this lady... I appreciated it. She compiled all the different all the information about how to how to get babies to sleep at night. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it to you and, and after this it'll solve all your problems. <laughs> so this is what I mean Molly and I, we've had three little kids, and so we've been through all this over and over, and, and all these things are things that you can find from from the experts, the experts, about how to get the baby to sleep. So here's here's the advice. You shouldn't sleep train at all before a year, before six months, or before four months. But if you wait till too late, your baby will never be able to sleep without you. (laughs) College-age children never need to be nursed, rocked, helped to sleep, so don't worry about any bad habits. Nursing, rocking, singing, swaddling, etc. to sleep are all bad habits and should be stopped immediately. (laughs) Naps should only be taken in a bed, never in a swing, car seat stroller, or when worn. Letting them sleep in the car seat or swing will damage their skulls. (laughs) If your baby has trouble falling asleep in bed, put them in a swing car seat stroller (laughs) or wear them. (laughs) Use, Use the crib only for sleep and keep it free from distractions. If the baby has trouble adjusting to the crib, have them play in it first. If the baby wakes up at night and wants to play, put fun toys in the crib to distract them. Put the baby in a nursery, bed in your room, in your bed. Co-sleeping is the best way to get sleep, except that it can kill your baby, so never ever do it. If your baby doesn't die, you will have to bed share until college. (sighs) Keep the room warm, but not too warm. Swaddle the baby tightly, but not too tightly. Put them on their backs to sleep, but don't let them be on their backs too long or they will be developmentally delayed. Give them a pacifier to reduce SIDS. Be careful about pacifiers because they can can cause nursing problems and stop your baby from sleeping soundly. If your baby sleeps too soundly, they'll die of SIDS. Don't let your baby sleep too long except when they're napping too much, then you should wake them. Never wake a sleeping baby. Any baby problem can be solved by putting putting them to bed earlier even if they're waking up too early. If your baby wakes up too early, put them to bed later or cut out a nap. Don't let them nap after 5 p.m. You should start a routine and keep track of everything. Don't watch the clock. Put them on a schedule. Scheduling will make your life impossible because they will constantly be thrown off of it and you'll become a prisoner in your own home. Using the cried out method will make them think they've been abandoned and they will be eaten by a lion shortly. It also causes brain damage. Not getting enough sleep will cause behavior and mental problems or, and brain damage. So be sure to put them to sleep by any means necessary, especially cry it out, which is the most effective form. <laughs> baby, oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> don't stop the baby from nursing when asleep. Be wary of night feeds. If you respond too quickly to food with food or comfort, your baby is manipulating you. Babies can't manipulate you. Babies older than six months can can manipulate you. Sleep when the baby sleeps, clean when the baby cleans. (laughs) Above all, don't worry. Stress causes your baby to stress, and a stressed baby won't sleep. All of that is real advice that you can find on the Internet about how to get the baby to sleep. If you would like to make a billion dollars, just figure out how to get babies to sleep. Now, some of you have this testimony. I was actually talking to some people. They're like, well, our babies just always slept through the night. And if that's your testimony, I'm not sure we can be friends. But (laughs) so it's difficult. You've got to make you've got to make these tough choices. And, you know, you end up on social media a lot of times comparing your everyday life with the highlight reel of somebody else's life. Because what do we put on social media? A lot of—I t- mean, I don't put hardly anything on there unless it's a joke because I like to make people laugh. But uh, a lot of times, it's it's the highlights of our life. It's good stuff. It's vacation photos, and I love scrolling through there. You know, I told Tim and Casey to post some pictures of them at Disneyland so I can live vicariously. But, you know, when I'm changing a diaper and I'm staring at Disneyland photos, it can be depressing. (laughs) Is that too real? So what we've got to understand, if you want to be a happy parent, a happy mom, a happy dad, or just happy in general, you've got to realize that we're actually terrible at measuring our own progress. Look at 2 Corinthians 10. Verse 12, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12 says, We dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Mm -hmm. He mentions two things in there that aren't wise. One is measuring yourself by yourself, and the other is comparing yourself to another person. Both of those things, he says, aren't smart. I think we know the first one tends to not be smart. Excuse me, the second one. We we know we're not supposed to compare ourselves. How many of you know that? We know that. But the first one is actually more startling. He says you're not really supposed to sit around measuring yourself by yourself, comparing yourself to your past, comparing yourself to, to what you think your goals should be. You're a terrible judge of how well you're doing. You just are. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. Let's let's turn back there and look at it. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 3. He says, But with me it's a very small thing if I am judged of you or of any man's judgment. Yes, I judge not my own self. It's a powerful verse of Scripture. He doesn't say, I don't care if people judge me. If I'm I'm mad about people judging me, I probably care. Right? He says, says, it's a very small thing to me. I don't really pay attention. I haven't noticed very much if people are judging me. There's this famous book called The Fountainhead. It's it's an interesting book. Uh, And the, the hero in the book, his name's Howard, and at the end of the book, he's talking to the main antagonist, or the main antagonist is talking to him. And, and this guy has basically been trying to wreck this guy's life and destroy everything he stands for and stuff. And I forget the bad guy's name, but he says to Howard, what do you think about me? And Howard says, I don't. <laughs> I don't. That's what Paul's thinking about he's saying here. He's saying, I don't judge myself. I don't spend a lot of time in introspection. I don't spend much time worrying about whether or not I'm doing very good. And instead, I let God judge me. Now, that sounds terrifying if you don't know what God's like. But God is Dad, and He's your biggest advocate. And if you will submit yourself, your, your self-perception, to His opinion, you'll live a lot happier. If you've ever run on a treadmill, how many of you ever run on a treadmill what you don't want to do is turn on the timer and stare at it while you're running. Because it's really depressing and the numbers move very slowly. We, we run on the treadmill a couple times a week and what we do is we turn off all the numbers and we watch the TV. Put our eyes on something else and then you can check your progress periodically. But if you're doing good, you can realize, wow, I've made it a lot farther than I realized in just a moment. But if you're continually trying to measure your progress and chart things, it doesn't, it's discouraging. Many times people will tell me I'm discouraged about my spiritual growth. I don't think I'm, I'm growing enough. And what I tell them is, look, you're, you're, you're a bad judge. You can't tell whether or not, it's like a plant. We planted these pots. You know, we planted, the kids, we're growing some tomatoes. Believe God with us, the tomatoes will grow so my kids aren't (laughs) discouraged. So we got some tomatoes and some eggplant and whatever. But if you go out there and you look at those plants every day, it doesn't look like anything's happening. But something is. And often the stuff that's going on is below the surface and you can't see it until there's a day of breakthrough. So he says, don't, don't judge yourself by yourself. Turn off the numbers. Similarly, you know, if, you're, if you like investing and stuff like I do, you, you don't want to look at your long-term investment balance every day because it's going to go up and down and, and you ride the waves of the, the market and whatever, and it'll be depressing. So just don't, just one of the best things to do if you're, if you're young is just enroll in your your retirement account and just put money in there and then just don't ever look at it. Make sure it's invested, but just just let it grow like a plant. Don't check it every day. So that's judging yourself by yourself, but you're also not supposed to compare yourself to other people. If you're running on a treadmill and you look over at somebody on the elliptical and you're trying to judge how you're doing based on what they're doing, you're going to be confused. Even if you're running on the same thing. You ever notice that? Because it looks like, well, that that person looks like they're doing better, but you don't know how fast, you can't see the numbers. You don't know what stage they are in life. And the thing about the elliptical, I mean, you can be going, you know, like this. And I, I hate that thing because you're going like this. And you go, I've been doing that for like 20 minutes. I've like gone like a half mile. I'm like... Man, we need we need to just run. I could have been run. I could have been. Anyway, I don't know who invented the elliptical. I don't like that machine. <laughs> but it's a good picture of what life's like. You, you can't compare your race to somebody else's. You can't compare yourself as a parent to somebody else. You can't compare yourself as a as a husband as a wife because you're running a different race. You're on a different machine. You have you have different a different calling a different anointing it's you know pastors get into this this deal cuz you you can think if you're not aware of this you can think wow I'm a pastor so I should just be able to look at some other pastor and and I can tell how I'm doing well you you can't because pastors even even though we're all pastors or whatever we have different anointings and different giftings and different callings you're called to do different things And you can't can't measure accurately what's going on by comparing yourself to somebody else. That holds true for any field, uh, whether you're pastoring or whatever. I just talk about that because I'm a pastor. Comparisons are always folly. The question is, then, why do we do them? We tend to know this, right, that comparisons are bad. How many of you know that? Okay, you've been told that a million times. Why do we still do it? Molly brought this out when we were doing premarital counseling with some folks. I thought it was really brilliant. The reason we do comparisons, particularly in the parenting realm, is that you you have to make all these choices, and it's hard to know whether or not you're doing it right, and we care deeply about raising our kids well. How many of you care deeply about raising your kids well? You don't don't want to screw the thing up, right? (laughs) Right. So because of that, it, it creates some insecurity, if you're not careful, because you worry about whether or not you're doing it right. And there's, as I just read to you, there's a whole lot of choices. There's a whole lot of choices. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to get rid of our insecurity. We're trying to assuage that feeling of, of uneasiness about, am I making the right choices? And one way to do that is to look at somebody else and you can do it one of two ways. You can look at, you know, parents A and B and you can say, well, I'm doing what they're doing and their kids are okay, so I must be okay. That way's not horrible, but that's not what we typically do. What we typically do is we look at parents A and B and we think, well, they're terrible, so thank God I'm not doing what they're doing and I must be all right. It's like the Pharisee that... that uh, Jesus talked about that he, you know, there was the Pharisee and the beggar, and they both went before God. And the beggar said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the Pharisee said, thank God I'm not like this guy over here, and I tithe and I give and I do all this stuff. And he felt justified because he wasn't like this other person. Is that real? So we don't want to do that, and you don't have to do it. But much of the loud opinionating about various parenting choices, like, for example, sleep training or not sleep training, you know, there's like, if you go on church Christian message boards, there's like holy wars fought over that. And people are like <laughs> saying people are heretics and about to go burn in hell and stuff because of because of their choices in those issues. It's really intense. I mean, so I'd encourage you not to get on there. But... But... uh why do we do that? Why do we demonize people that that disagree with us about stuff? That's it's matters of personal conscience. There's not chapter and verse for any of that. It's a Romans 14 issue. It's it's you've got to let your conscience be your God. Why do we demonize people? It's because we're insecure, and so I've got to be right. I wrap my I wrap my arms around a, a few certain choices, and I say, because I'm doing these certain things, that makes me a good parent. But if I do that, that requires me to condemn people that are doing the opposite. Is that real?? Yeah. We, do, we do the same thing with theology. Uh, you know, we have different theological camps, and, and look, I've got strong opinions about stuff. Um, but a lot of, a lot of the strong opinionating in the church and stuff, it's if you you really drill down into what people are doing, people are scared. They're scared to be questioned about stuff, and they're scared to confront certain issues. And so they just they just latch on to certain things, and then they demonize other camps. Now that doesn't mean that we just say everything is right and we agree with everything. I'm, I'm, I'll tell you, you know, what I think, but I really work hard. I don't I don't do this perfectly, but I'm I'm. Everybody say, the pastor's working on it. I I try to tell you what I think without demonizing people that that disagree with me. And like, I'm getting ready to take this class on eschatology. And eschatology is the study of the end, the end of the world. And you'd be amazed at how, how bifurcated the church is over this area and how we tend to demonize one another based on people's end times beliefs. And what's funny is the biggest the biggest debate is is actually over at least in the in the United States it's it's over a very narrow subsection of of the spectrum of belief about the end times. So there's a broad spectrum of beliefs about the end times. A lot of Christians are only aware of a very small part of it and and but they hate each other if you, some people believe in a pre-trib rapture and some people believe in a post-trib rapture and they don't those two they don't like each other a lot of times, all right, and that's, that's silly. Hallelujah. (laughs) I think it's silly. I
1: might,
0: I might do a series about all that, and I don't know. We'll see. It might be too big a can of worms, and I don't need people mad at me for things that probably aren't that big a deal. But anyway, Jesus helped me. Okay, in theology, <laughs> notice, notice number four. In theology, what's meant to assuage our anxiety about is not having all the right answers. It's the reality of the Father's love for us. When I, when I really began to see how much God loved me, and how much he accepted me and thought I was an awesome person, I didn't need to demonize people that disagreed with me anymore, yeah. because I didn't need to be right in order to feel okay. Yeah. Now I believe I am right.
1: Yeah. Okay,
0: about a lot of stuff, but there's a lot of stuff I have questions about. I mean, I don't, I don't understand a lot of stuff, and and. And 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 I'm okay saying that, whereas I I used to not be. And I thought that if a pastor said that, it was not good and it was cowardice, but that was because I was immature. So anyway, (laughs) (laughs) are we making it? Is everybody all right? (laughs) I feel like we're struggling a little bit. Okay, in the same way, in the same way, in parenting, we aren't meant to fix our insecurity by comparing ourselves to other people. Rather, we realize that God loves us and believes in us as parents. So I wanted to go over some lies that the world and sometimes the church unfortunately tells moms, and then and then we'll replace them with the truth. Now these work, you know, for, for to some extent for husbands as well, although they're there uh, some of them are particularly moms. So, you know, typically they tell you if you're a mom, you're supposed to be really nurturing and patient, you know, because all moms are nurturing and patient or whatever. And so, so what they what you start feeling when you hear that if, if your mom is, well, I don't know if I'm nurturing and patient enough. You don't have to raise your hand, but if if anybody's ever felt that way, that sometimes, sometimes that's it. It's a criticism, but, but you can't escape because then the backside of that is, is they'll tell you, well, you're too nurturing and too patient. You've got to push the kid a little bit. It's like, well, which is it? You can't win. You know, the world will tell you, you, you aren't, well, the church really will tell you you aren't woman enough if you don't stay home with your kids and not work. And so, you know, they'll, they'll say, well, you know, your kids are, oh, they're making all these sacrifices so you can go have your nice career or whatever, and they'll shame you. On the other side, there'll be people in the world that'll say, well, you know, if you don't, if you don't have a career in addition to your kids, then you're a traitor to your gender. Is that honest? That's true. Then you, you, so they say you aren't woman enough if you don't stay home, but then you're also not woman enough if you don't go to work, and, and so so they'll say you can't you can't have it all. I mean, you can't you can't you know have a great home and great kids and a, be a great mom and be a great wife and have a great career and do all this stuff. You have to make choices. You can't you can't have it all, right? You can't, but if you don't, you're a failure. That's really what they'll say. That's the messaging that you hear a lot. Or they'll say, you aren't pretty enough. You know, you had all these kids, you ought to, you ought to lose some weight or you ought to do something, but make sure nobody knows that you don't care about, make sure everyone knows you don't care about how pretty you are. Otherwise, again, you're a traitor. <laughs> uh, we already did this one. You're not pushing your kids enough, but you're also demanding too much from them. I like this one. If you don't parent, here's a lie, okay? This is a lie. So what, sometimes at church we, we laugh at lies together. So I'm going to read half of it, and then we're going to laugh together. So, so here's the lie. If you don't parent your kids perfectly, they will turn out to be psychopaths. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. So what that does is it makes everybody, that lie makes everybody uptight, and they helicopter. And so then they'll say, but if you helicopter, that likewise will make your kids insane. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. And you can see why it's hard to be a parent nowadays. Well, luckily, God isn't saying any of that stuff. Do you want to know what God is saying? Let's look at Ephesians one. Ephesians one, verse six says, "To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved." I want to I want to suggest to you that means that you are accepted as a parent, as a grandparent. As an aunt, as an uncle, if you're involved in a kid's life, you're accepted. What's that mean? It means that you're different than all the other parents that you know. And you're okay as you. You can be you and be a good parent. You don't have to be me, you don't have to be Molly, you don't have to be somebody else. You can be you and be a good parent. You're accepted and loved right where you are. Colossians 1.12, let's look at that one. Colossians 1.12 says, Giving thanks to the Father which has made us meet, that word meet means worthy, has made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So as a parent, you are worthy of God's best blessings. So everybody say this with me. I am worthy to receive every good thing God wants to give me. I am worthy to receive God's best blessings for me and my children and my grandchildren. If you don't have kids yet, you can prophesy. Now, why are you worthy? Is it because, is it because of something you've done? No, it says he's made you worthy. So the blood of Jesus makes you worthy. So the devil will come and he'll say, well, you aren't worthy. And you just, you just agree with your adversary quickly in the way. And you say, you know what, you're right, but the blood of Jesus qualified me. So that ends the, that ends the debate. Romans 8.37, let's read this one. Romans eight thirty seven says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. As a parent, you're more than a conqueror. You're more than an overcomer. That means Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation. How many of you know as a parent or a grandparent you have tribulation? The tribulation comes. But Jesus said, Fear not, I've overcome the world. Yeah. means you're, you're well able to... Con- so what's Jesus saying about you? The world's saying you're not equipped to deal with the problems that are, that are facing your kids and grandkids. Jesus says, no, 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 no. By my grace, you are well able to deal with this situation. You can overcome it. Is that a good word? Colossians 2, verse 13. We've just got to replace the lies with the truth. Colossians 2, verse 13. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. says, And you, being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you how many trespasses? All. Oh, does that include trespasses you've made regarding your children? It does. I can tell you as a parent, I mean, the hardest things to forgive myself are things that I've messed up with my kids. But this says I've been forgiven. So if I don't forgive myself, I'm I'm at war with God. I'm at war with his perspective on the world. You aren't going to get very far if your perspective and God's aren't aligned. Because whatever God thinks, that's reality. Yeah. Whatever God thinks is reality. That's why, you know, that's why I believe in, one of the reasons I believe in free will, because God, God thinks we have it. Yeah. That's why it feels like you make choices. How many of you know it feels like you make a choice every day? You, you made a choice about whether or not to eat breakfast, cereal, or, or toast, or nothing. Why do you feel that way? Well, because you actually have the choice. Because it's real, and sometimes we make poor choices. But thank God we've been forgiven. We've been forgiven all of our trespasses. Now the big one, the the big lie that all these lies boil down to, is that you are not enough as a person or as a parent. But Philippians four thirteen says, "I can do all things." through Christ who strengthens me. If I could sum that up for you, I would say that it means you are enough. Hallelujah. You are. That's what God's saying about you as a parent, as a grandparent, aunt, uncle, etc. cetera. So we don't listen to the world. So what, what's, you know, the world is saying one thing, and we might be, say, we might be trying to judge ourselves, but we don't, we don't compare ourselves with other people we don't judge ourselves based on ourselves. We go back to this scripture and we think about what what is true about us. But we let God be the judge. God says, I'm forgiven, I'm enough, I'm worthy, I'm an overcomer, I'm accepted, and I'm loved. Anybody with me? Now, I wanted to give you, one of the things I think that is, is one of the other reasons that we do the comparison thing is that it's, Sometimes we don't have an objective standard of what, what good parenting looks like. So I made a list of things that good moms do, and I thought I would, I would read this list to you. I didn't give it to you because I didn't want you to cheat. <laughs> I'm going to read this list of things that good moms do, and then you can, you can look at the list, and you'll be able to tell by the end of this whether or not you're a good parent. Okay, so what I did was I thought about all the good moms that I know in my life, which I've been blessed, I, I know so many. My wife's amazing, I, had a great, I have a great mom, and, and, you know, I've met so many great moms here. So I just thought about all of the great moms in my life, and I thought, what do they have in common? What are some things that great moms do? So the first thing I thought about was, and you can write these down if you're taking notes, is that great moms... Make mistakes. How many, of you, how many of you know a great mom? Okay, How many of you have noticed that they mess stuff up sometimes? So as a mom, the next time you make a mistake, just say, thank God. This must mean I'm a good mom.
1: Because
0: that's what good moms do. They do. Do good moms make mistakes? They do. Good moms do that. You know what else I've noticed sometimes? Sometimes good moms feel overwhelmed. Good moms feel like that. So if you've ever felt overwhelmed, you might be a really good mom. I've also noticed that sometimes good moms will get angry. (laughs) And, and yell and or cry or both at the same time. How many of you have seen a good mom do that? <laughs> so the next time that happens, say, thank God, I must be a good mom. I've also noticed that sometimes good moms might eat too much ice cream.
1: <laughs>
0: Praise Jesus. Good dads might be guilty of that as well. I've noticed that good moms sometimes fail to live up to their own standards. Even good moms do that. If you're catching my drift, this should be the opposite of condemning. You understand what I'm... Everybody understand what I'm doing here? I'm not... not, Okay. I'm I'm worried a little bit that I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) The point is, I'm trying to get you to to, to see that everybody struggles, okay? Uh, So good moms have grace for themselves and for their kids. And good moms are honest with themselves and their families about what they're going through. And then lastly, this is my favorite one. I think that good moms learn to enjoy life more by not stressing out about whether or not they're enjoying it enough. Whenever you have a baby, uh, what do people come say to you? They grow up so fast, right? So, what they say is make sure you enjoy it. You know, make sure you enjoy, you know, mom. When it's hour 72 of no sleep and you're changing that diaper, make sure that you're enjoying that moment because before you know it, they're gonna be in high school or they're gonna be moved out and then you'll wish they were a little baby again. Make sure you enjoy when they pee in your face and when, make sure, you know, (laughs) make sure you enjoy all those temper tantrums. And what this does, because because it, here's the truth, they do grow up really fast. Is that true? Yeah. They do. And then you look back and you think, what happened? But when we're constantly hearing that message, here's what I've noticed in my own life: I was stressing about whether or not I was enjoying it enough, and that took away from the enjoyment. It's like here's this precious moment. I gotta suck the life out of it.
1: <laughs>
0: it doesn't. It doesn't work very good. I watched this movie years ago called About Time. Anybody see that movie? It's from the makers of uh, what's that other movie? The. Uh, well, anyway. The, the Christmas movie that's a love story. Love, actually. Uh, anyway, so it's got some risque stuff in it, so I'm not fully recommending it. You can fast forward that part. But it's a great movie. It has a great message. And the, the, in it, there's this family. And in the family, that the men can time travel. It's a weird premise, all right? But they can go back, and they can, they can inhabit their former selves, and they can relive any day that they want. And they can change stuff. And so anytime they want, they get a do-over. How many would like a do-over? Yeah. And mo- most of the movie is this kid growing up and, you know, doing a bunch of do-overs. So he, he gets to marry the girl that he wants and, you know, gets the job he wants and, like, getting do-overs and fixing stuff and spending a lot of time with his dad. It's like a, I can't watch it now because it's 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 too emotional, the father-son dynamic. But... But anyway, um, at the end of it, his, his dad dies and, and he, he uh, can't go back and see him anymore because of the rules and stuff. And, and Anyway, but his dad gives him a last piece of advice, which is he says, what I've learned to do, son, is I've learned to live each day once and then I go back and I relive it, enjoying it more because I know what's going to happen. And we think that makes a ton of sense, but I love, I love the end of the movie because he said, he said I, I took my dad's advice and I tried that for a while. But now I've gone beyond even what my dad did. And what I do is I just live every day and I never go back. And I just, I just enjoy the life. I enjoy the ups. I enjoy the downs. And I don't stress about whether or not I'm doing everything perfect. Because let's get real, if you had that ability, you would go back and try to make every day perfect. And in doing so, none of them would be. Because part of what makes it perfect is all the problems. It's overcoming them. It's the ups and downs. It's the highs and lows. So last point, you know Jesus honors moms. One of my favorite parts of the whole Bible is, is Jesus is on the cross, and the scripture says he's reconciling the whole world to himself. How many of you know that's a big job? If there's a moment in the life of Jesus when you might expect him to be not, you know, to, to be inward focused and not really focused, you know, it's a cosmic reconciliation. The whole universe is being reconciled to God. It's like a really big moment. If there's ever a moment when you might want to just just pull back and just chill and let Jesus do his thing, that might be it, right? But in the middle of that, Jesus has this amazing habit of taking these grand, amazing moments and making them intensely personal. And he's up on the cross, actively reconciling the world to God, and he looks down for a moment, and he sees John and his mom. And he takes that moment and he says, he says, John, behold your Mom. I need you to do something for me. Take care of my mom. Take care of her. The scripture says, from that day on, John took Mary into his own house. Treated her like his own mom. Took care of her. Because that was what you did in that culture. I'm telling you, Jesus sees all of the stuff that you do as moms. All of the stuff you do as dads. He he sees all these moments of sacrifice, the struggle, the exhaustion. Even if nobody else recognizes it, even if nobody else honors it, in that moment, Jesus is he's, he's changing the universe. And he takes a moment to say, Mom, you're really special to me. In doing that, he says the same thing to every single one of you. Well, that's Awesome. Well, that was probably a better Mother's Day message than the Job one, so <laughs> I, set a, I set a low bar. But anyway, uh, let's all stand up. We've got some lovely kids at the back. If you're a mom or just a lady in general, on your way out, we want to bless you. We want to honor you with a rose and just tell you that God loves you. So all the ladies get a rose on the way out. And uh, I'm going to pray for everybody. If my prayer team could come down here. I had a couple words of knowledge I was going to give real quick. Um, so if you need me prayer in just a second, you can come down. But really quickly, uh, I felt like somebody had some kind of problem in the, in the center of their neck that went over to the side of their shoulder. Somebody else had a problem with your jaw, like on right here on the right uh, side, and then somebody else had a problem back down here right above your right hip. So if any of that is you, you can come down and pray with the prayer minister in just a second, and uh, they'll uh, believe with you for healing. So anyway, I'm going to pray for everybody, and then you uh, can sign up for stuff on the way out and get a rose. So Father, we thank you for all the moms. We bless them. We thank you that you love them. We thank you for all the dads. And, and Lord, we just uh, thank you ultimately that you're a good, good God, that you're the ultimate parent, that you love us and accept us right where we are. And so we just, we just bless you, and we honor you, and we just receive every good thing you have in Jesus' name. Amen.